Well, let me begin by thanking all of you for tuning in at this men's conference and uh, participating with me in this wonderful time when as men we can be challenged afresh concerning the ways of God, the ways of fulfillment, and indeed ultimately the ways of joy. Because trust me, it is as we learn to walk with God that we actually find fulfillment in life. It is as we glorify God that ultimately we find joy in life. And so ultimately, God is the fountainhead of all things. I've been given to deal with two topics. Uh, the very first one is the idolatry of education. The idolatry of education. And it's not a topic that you can easily find in one section of the Bible. And so we will do quite a bit of a journey through the scriptures in the hope that as we learn about education and then we learn about its positive usefulness, we will be enabled to be careful that we do not go the extreme of the idolatry of education and that way we will be truly balanced individuals glorifying God finding fulfillment in education and finding joy in it so where should we begin I think it's simply by acknowledging the fact that we are in a world in which education is so much part of life we all just take it for granted uh, our kids, soon after they can say one, two, three, are quickly rushed into uh, baby class, into uh, preschool, and in due season, they start making their way through primary school. Uh, most of us, I remember myself once upon a time, uh, going through that part of education. And it wasn't until I was like in grade three, four, and five that I began to realize what on earth was going on. Uh, up to that point, it was just where you went, and you had teacher, and you were uh, learning things, but the brain hadn't yet begun to process what on earth this was all about. And many of us have had to go through that. But somehow, as we get to the end of secondary school, the whole issue of what am I going to study becomes an all-embracing occupation. And at that stage, many of us are thinking not so much in terms of in which area has God gifted me, what kind of mind do I have so that I can therefore use it in a career to glorify him. That's not the way we think. Most of us, it is purely in terms of what career can I be in that's going to bring back the financial returns and so different generations as they are coming and going have those professions that are big on money and we end up wanting to go that way in due season we begin to realize you know what i can actually accumulate degrees i can go from a bachelor's to a master's to a doctorate and so on, and have the title doctor added to my name. And in the midst of all that, it's fairly easy for us 
to fall into the idolatry of education. Hence the need to turn to the Bible, to ask ourselves the question, what has the Bible got to say about us being educated? And therefore, we can be inoculated against the idolatry of education. And I want us to begin by looking at Genesis chapter 1 and verse 3. However, we will begin with the first verse. So if you've got your Bible with you, please turn with me to Genesis chapter 1, verse 1 down to verse 5. The Bible says that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, Let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning, the first day. That's where I want us to begin as we are considering the subject of education. And you might be wondering, what on earth is to do with education in this text? Really, it's in answering the question, why is it that on the very first day, the first thing that God created was light? He said, let there be light. And there was light. Well, in case you're one of those who thinks, perhaps since he was creating, he needed to be able to see what he was doing in order for him to create properly, here's my answer. Wrong. God does not need light to do anything. In fact, as the Bible itself tells us, to God, darkness is as good as light. The Bible, in fact, warns us that the things that we are doing in darkness, behind closed doors, it is as though we are doing it in broad daylight, out there in the open, as far as God is concerned. He does not need light. So, begs the question, why then did God create light first when he was creating uh, the, the universe in all its brilliance? In fact, what even makes this question a lot more perplexing is that it is not until a few days later that in fact he then proceeds to create the source of light, which is the sun and the moon. We can see that from verse 14. The Bible says, And God said, Let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night, and let, there, let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years. 
and let them be lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light upon the earth. And it was so. And God made the two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night and the stars. And God set them in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth, to rule over the day and over the night, and to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning the fourth day that only thickens the plot. Why create the light on the first day and then create the source of the light on the fourth day? Well, I want to suggest to you that it is because when God was creating, he was functioning as a prototype for us. So that when we come in as his regents, to look after his world, we are then to follow his pattern. And so whereas he does not need light in order to work, you and I, we need light. And so for our sake, he then went on to ensure that the first thing he did was to provide light because he knew that when we begin to follow his pattern, which is the pattern of Genesis and chapter 1, for us, light will be crucial. What does light stand for? Well, if you ever read the rest of the Bible, you realize that light stands for knowledge. And therefore, gaining light means gaining knowledge. In fact, even better than that, it is gaining wisdom. And so, even from the very beginning, God is emphasizing the importance in human existence, in human development, in carrying out the very reason of our existence that we should acquire knowledge. We should acquire truth, or to borrow the word that we are using here, we should acquire education. Before we can do anything, and let's face it, that is true. Let's suppose you needed to have open heart surgery because your heart was malfunctioning. Who would you go to? Would you go to somebody who has spent the last 20 years studying anatomy and surgery? Or would you go to your village witch doctor? Who would you go to? I know exactly where you would go. You would go to the person who you know has studied, has acquired knowledge, has been educated because you know that behind that education, therefore, is somebody who is able to open up your chest without killing you. Well, that's basically the, the lesson that we are learning from this. Let there be light. 
So even as we speak about the idolatry of education, let's be clear that it is not something negative in and of itself. Let's not begin to, to wrongly um, exalt ignorance as though there's something worth being praised in ignorance. We need knowledge. We need truth. We need education. Towards the end of uh, chapter 1 of Genesis, the Lord finally gives what we call today the cultural mandate to Adam and Eve. And these are the words, beginning with verse 26, when Adam and Eve were being created. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And then we read verse 28. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. And here it is, and subdue it. And have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Now friends, this subduing of the earth, this having dominion over all other creatures that God has made, is only possible when we have knowledge, when we are exposed to the truth concerning God's world, concerning God's creatures, that's when we are able to subdue them and have dominion over them. I mean, an obvious example is uh, if you were to be found in the jungle and in front of you was uh, a, a lion and that lion sort of uh, got on its knees to thank God for uh, an early supper, uh, you, you would need to have knowledge at that point to know what to do, either to escape from the lion's clutches or for you to shoot it and survive. The knowledge will obviously have to go with developing a gun that you can consequently shoot Perhaps not to kill it, maybe to just immobilize it so that you have an opportunity to get away. The point I'm trying to make out of all this is this. To subdue, you need to have knowledge. We also see the same in chapter 2, uh, when God takes Adam and puts him in the garden. Genesis 2 and verse 15. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. So there, the point is obvious. 
the only way in which Adam could indeed look after God's garden. Not a forest, not a jungle, but a place where God has distributed his flowers, his plantations, in such a way that there is form, there is beauty, and everything else without killing those plants. The only way he could do it is with light, with knowledge, with truth, with education. So I could go on. The point that we are seeing here is that for us to carry out the cultural mandate, we need to have a good brain tucked between our two ears. But not only a good brain tucked there, but a brain that's being filled with knowledge, with truth, through the education process. So education is important. It is vital, even before we begin to speak about its idolatry. It is when we get into chapter 3 of Genesis, what we call the fall, that we begin to have problems with education. That it becomes a form of idolatry. We see this in the way in which the Satan, through the serpent, ended up deceiving Eve and bringing in the fall. And you cannot miss the fact that knowledge had something to do with it. Let's quickly go to chapter 3 of Genesis. The Bible tells us there, Genesis chapter 3, now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast in the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. But God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the middle or in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you shall not surely die. And listen to this. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened. And you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Knowing good and evil. In other words, God knows that you can get knowledge independent of him and therefore become like him. Let me say that again. God knows that you can get knowledge independent of him so that you become like him. And Eve fell for it. Let's go on. Verse 6. Genesis 3, verse 6. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, remember I talked about 
knowledge and wisdom. She took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. And sure enough, knowledge came. But it was now idolatrous. Listen to this. Then the eyes of both were opened and they knew that it is, they had knowledge. Now they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loin clothes. What is it that has happened here? What is it that we need to beware of? I think from what I've already explained, the message should be plain. And it is an atheistic education. Atheistic education. In other words, an education that is bereft of God. An education that is independent of the true source of light, the true source of knowledge, the true source of truth, God himself. And it is that kind of education that indeed has become the norm after the fall. And you can't miss it from the very words that were spoken by the devil here when he said, God, to change the phrase a little bit, God is afraid that you might become like him. That you will get to know stuff that puts you at the same level with him and consequently you don't need him anymore. Isn't that what is largely taking place in the educational world? Individuals who are digging deeper and deeper into what they consider to actually be knowledge and what they are really doing is digging deeper and deeper into a place where they want to say God doesn't exist. Throwing him out of, ex of existence. And that's what atheistic evolution is all about. It's really a form of idolatry. Because what it really does is it pushes God out of the picture completely. Basically saying we don't need this theory of God. Treating God as if he is an X in an equation. And therefore some people can say that X is God. Others can come in and say this X is some big bang that took place a few millions of years ago. And so on and so forth. It is that kind of education that has induces and shown itself to be nothing but atheism. To borrow the words of the book of Psalms, the fool says in his heart, there is no God. Let me hurry on. Because what basically this kind of education does is to produce the thinking, not only that God is absent or does not exist, but also that truth is relative. Now, they will speak in terms of the fact that, you know, the only thing that exists is what you can test in a test tube. 
Just speak like that. But before long, we begin to speak in terms of what you believe is truth for you, but not necessarily truth for, for me. And we've experienced it, especially in recent years and decades with respect to uh, sexual revolution. It's been pretty obvious where individuals now have reached a point where you cannot tell whether, or at least you should not tell whether a person is male or female. They should tell you. I mean, that's crazy. I agree with you. But that's where the idolatry of education lands us. Because we've thrown away the source of light, the source of truth, the true source of education. We've thrown him away. And now we are left with ourselves. We are left with everything being relative, including human sexuality. We've thrown away morality that we did long ago because that's supposed to be for some ancient people who believed in this being called God. We've thrown all that away and therefore we can do as we please. And then we have reached now those places where we cannot even tell who is male and who is female anymore. But let me go ahead because there is a lot more in this idolatry of education. Now, another way in which we see it is when individuals make education an end in itself. In other words, it's individuals who are basically saying, I, I, I want to, to have as many papers as I can. I want to go through, that is, degrees and diplomas and certificates and so on. And that's all they live for. I want to get the various titles, the designations that come after my name and, and so on and so forth. And, that's all they are aiming for. God is not in the picture whatsoever. Whatever you live for. Let me say it again. Whatever you live for is your God. Yes, in that sense, education can also become a God. Education can become an idol, and it has become an idol for many, many individuals. One of the ways in which I have seen this has been when I have tried to look at a lot of the doctoral dissertations and, and theses that, that have been written by so many individuals who are getting their, their doctorates, their, their PhDs. And you look at what it is they are apparently studying, apparently trying to bring onto the table of knowledge in the world, and you ask yourself the question, how useful is this? Will anybody, ever have a use for this. 
And often, if we can be honest, the answer is no. It's not even worth the paper on which it is finally printed out as a doctoral thesis or dissertation. It's not worth it. In fact, it's in some kind of library, in some university, and the only advantage about it is that somebody now on the planet, walking on two feet, is being called a doctor. But as for anybody ever bothering to read that, to study it, to put it to any use, useless. Absolutely useless. May I suggest to you that that's a form of idolatry. All we are doing now is wanting to have more and more of titles, of degrees, and so forth. But at the end of the day, we are not asking ourselves the question, this which I am studying, how is it going to glorify God? How is, going, is it going to be of use and help to the people who are in this world? Nothing like that. I want to suggest to you, that is idolatry. So we begin to see then as we are uh, making our way through uh, Genesis 1, 2, and 3, not only the, the place of education, but also the way in which this education easily has become an idol for us as human beings. We've seen that it is when it replaces God, we have seen that it is when we make truth relative, overlooking the fact that it is a turning on of the light. In other words, you cannot have false truth and true truth. It is truth or it is false. The way in which we have made the um, education as an end in itself, all to save us, and so forth. All that is enough a warning to us concerning education as idolatry. Very well then, how do we redeem education so that we get back to the words of Genesis 1, let there be light. How do we do it? John and chapter 1. John and chapter 1. The Bible tells us this. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. We know who's being spoken about here. The Lord Jesus Christ. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. Listen to this. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. In other words, Jesus came as light, truth, 
knowledge. The light, verse 5, shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. We are told in verse 9, the true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. It is the Lord Jesus Christ, or to borrow the way in which John refers to him in chapter 8. In fact, it's really Jesus referring to himself. John 8 and verse 12. Again, Jesus spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. In other words, the way we redeem education from it being an idolatrous education is by bringing Jesus into the picture. Remember the way he referred to himself. I am the way, the truth, yes, and the light. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus is actually the source of knowledge. First of all, he is the source of saving knowledge. And that's the reason why we learn about the fact that and the way, the truth, and the life, no one comes to the Father except through me. And consequently, that's where we must begin when we are seeking to redeem knowledge. It is by helping individuals coming to know Jesus Christ. Because as they come to know Jesus Christ, they make their way to the Father. And having come to know the Father, they get back into that relationship that gives a sense of symmetry to the rest of creation, to the understanding of the rest of human life and living, to the rest of creation and its very purpose in this world. It all begins with knowing the light, knowing Jesus Christ, the light of the world. Let me ask you, have you come to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior? Have you ever genuinely come to repentance of your sin abandoning your independence from God in the recognition that if you continue as you are, ultimately God must throw you into hell forever. Have you thrown away your weapons of warfare against the living God and come to him that he might save you? based squarely on the finished work of our Lord Jesus Christ on the cross. Have you done that yet? Because as long as you haven't done that, 
I want to assure you that whereas education itself, there's no problem with it, your heart will turn it into an idol. It will be replacing the true God of heaven. And as a result, you must be punished for having replaced God with that which is not worthy of God, that which ought to be a means to the worship of God. Have you repented of your sins? Have you believed in God's own Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, that he alone, through his death on the cross, has paid the price for your sin? That when he was hanging on the cross, saying, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You now believe it was because of you. And your sin, every sin, including the sin of the education, idolatry. Let me ask you, have you come to believe the finished work of Jesus Christ? That that is enough, absolutely enough, to bring you to God. If you haven't, I want to urge you to do that now. That's the only way in which education can be brought to begin fulfilling its appropriate purpose in your life without you abusing it and turning it into an idol. Turn to Christ in genuine repentance. Turn to Christ. Believe in Him. Be saved by Him. Because, as He said Himself, I am the light of the world. Now you see, when you come to Jesus this way, what happens is that it's like your brain opens up. Because you begin to see your area of study as studying God's world. And it doesn't matter what it is you study. Whether it's primary school, secondary school, tertiary education. Whether you study geology, or you study um, engineering, or you study medicine, or you study to be an accountant or a lawyer, or you study to do carpentry, the nice piece of uh, pulpit furniture that we have here, whatever it might be, it might be plumbing or, or agriculture or, or horticulture or whatever other culture that you might be studying. The thing is, you begin to realize that it's God's world. And you want to know more and more of that which God created as a means by which you can worship Him. Because the more you dig, the more you pause and go, wow! Whoever made this must be indeed a most glorious being. And then again, the following week, the following month, the following year, you are digging deeper. You are amazed at the depth 
of God's world. And consequently, you are humbled a lot more in order to worship this great God. That's what true worship will do for you. But it will do much more than that. It will not only help you to worship God, it will also help you to serve God in this world. And that's the way in which an idol is turned the right way up and becomes a servant. That's what education ought to be. It's the fact that whatever it is that you are studying, you begin to say to yourself, how can I use it to make God's world a better world for God's glory, for the good of his creatures? In other words, as we get back to what we saw at the beginning of Genesis, what happens is you begin to use your knowledge in order to take care of God's garden. Adam was put in the garden of Eden to work it, to keep it. You begin to use it to borrow the words of uh, Genesis chapter 1, where God said that be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and of the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the ground. You begin to, to use your knowledge for the cultural mandate so that this world becomes a better world for the purpose for which God made it. You participate in the development that is taking place. That God might be glorified, yes, but that there might be a better world for God's people. And know what begins to happen to you as you are applying your learning to that sphere in that way, to the glory of God, to the good of humanity, what happens is you begin to have a sense of fulfillment, satisfaction, saying, yes, this is why God made me. And ultimately, when you are lying on your deathbed, about to go into eternity, you go with a smile, knowing that you are going to render an account of stewardship to God your maker for the things that he had given you. Whatever that is, your level of knowledge, your level of exposure, your knowledge of the truth of God, indeed the education that you received, and what you did with it, you are satisfied to say, I'm going to my maker to give an account to him. But finally, as I close, the glorious way in which education is redeemed is this. When Jesus finally returns. And when he returns, we will not be back into a, a jungle with a garden in between. No. We will be in a fully 
developed world, our knowledge base will be complete. We will be in a beautiful city, the holy city of God, with all kinds of jewels surrounding it, with the glory of God itself providing the radiance. And there we will worship God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit with a fullness in our souls of the great God who is there as we go on to serve him. That is where knowledge should be taking us. And I want to ask again, has that been redeemed for you? Because if it's not, you better repent of your idolatry in education. You better repent of it and go to Christ for his salvation and for his sanctification in the realm of knowledge. Pursue knowledge, yes. Pursue education. But do it for the glory of God.